Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, I want to welcome all of you at our Phileo campus and joining us online. And uh, for those of you in this room, I'm glad you're all here. Um, especially as we're going through this summer series, we're going through the Gospel of John, learning together what God is like, because John says in his introduction, the whole reason Jesus came was to make God known. So if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what, if you want to know God, get to know Jesus, because he is the exact representation of God to us. And so that's why we're going through this whole series. In fact, I had someone talk to me just this week. They said, you know, my first introduction to Jesus was through the gospel of John. And, and, and that's so true. One of the things about John's gospel is it is much more personal, much more intimate, where the other three gospels talk about the large crowd teachings of Jesus and, and a lot of the big miracles. Um, John gives us a lot more of the behind the scenes, the more personal, intimate conversations that he has um, with, with people um, along the way. And in each one of them, we learn a little bit more about Jesus and we learn a little bit more about our own relationship with him. Last week, we looked at um, his conversation with a guy named Nicodemus who had spent his whole life trying to make sure his life was right with God, um, doing everything he could to be right with God, to get God's love. And, and Jesus said to him, that's not how it works. It comes to you as a gift of grace. And all of your best efforts are always going to come up short. What you need is a fresh start. You need to be born again, which is where that phrase comes from. Um, today, we're going to look at another conversation that's actually up by, with someone at the very other end of the spectrum. And, and it really points out what we're going to talk about today. And it, and it comes also from uh, the introduction to John's gospel. He wrote this about Jesus. He wrote, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And that is the tension. It's what we're going to be talking about today. He was full of grace and truth, not a little bit of grace and a lot of truth, or a, lot of tru- a little bit of truth and a lot of grace, um, or, or some of each, or a nice balance between the two. He said, no, no, he came the fullness of grace and truth. Now, everybody got one of these rubber bands on the way in, so pull it out, because this is a sermon illustration, and um, you're never going to look at rubber bands again for the rest of your life, I hope. Because what I want you to do is I want you to stretch that as much as you can and feel the tension there, okay? Because that is the tension that we live with between grace and truth. And you know what the differences are, okay? Truth said, these are the rules. Grace says, it's all good. (laughs) Truth said, no, you got to toe the line. Grace says, no, you're okay. See, truth says... um, this is just the way that it is. Grace says, I love you just the way that you are. And, and we live with that tension. And Jesus lived right with that tension. And that's what we're going to look at today. Because every one of us in this room tends to lean one way or the other. Some of us grew up in a church, you know, and grew up with all the rules. And so we're kind of way over on the truth side. And we have a hard time with this grace part. And so grace needs to keep pulling us back. And, and some of us, you know, we're just so gracious. You know, it's just whatever happens, it all happens. It's all good. No, we need to know the truth as well. So this tension, I want you, every time you look at a rubber band, think about this is where I live. In that tension between grace and truth, this is where we as a church live. This tension between grace and truth. And it really comes out in this conversation that Jesus has with a woman 
um, a Samaritan woman. It's found in John's Gospel, chapter 4. Let me read, uh, and this is only a part of the conversation, because uh, it's actually a very long conversation. Um, I'm going to begin in verse 4. It says about Jesus, He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. Fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Well, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Now, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place of must, we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. This little brief section of a conversation points out to us this this tension that we live in between grace and truth. And and to really understand grace, you need to understand the truth. And to really understand truth, you need to understand grace. And one of the first things that this this teaches us is that that, that grace always breaks through barriers. Grace breaks through barriers. Jesus was constantly challenging the accepted norms of his day, the, the cultural norms, the barriers. And there were all kinds of barriers. In fact, just in this opening sentence to her, he already breaks three of these rules. It says that the Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? There it is. <laughs> will you give me a drink? Now, he has already broken three rules. The first is any devout man would never be caught in a situation where he is alone with another woman. You just, that wouldn't be, you would do everything you could to avoid being one-on-one with the woman. It just wasn't done. And, and, and being a devout man, being a man of God, just being there in the same presence as a woman, you know, what he should have done was just got up and left because she had come. Because he didn't want to be in that, that kind of a situation. So that's breaking one rule, but much less, he now actually engages in a conversation with her. And that too, that would be like way, way, way beyond. Not only is he, is he staying there with her, but he's actually starting up a conversation. And then, on the third thing is, he asks for a drink of water. Now, no Jew would drink from anything that a Samaritan had drank from. 
So just in opening a conversation right here, right now, he's already broken three rules, three of the social rules. And, 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 and she knows that because listen to her response. What she says to him is, but you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now that is an understatement because there was animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans that goes back centuries. It goes all the way back to 400 years previous where the Babylonians had come in and conquered Jerusalem. And, and what they did was they carted off a whole bunch of the Jews off to exile and, and replaced them with Babylonians. And what happened was over a period of time, they started to intermarry. And then when the Assyrians came in and took over uh, on top of the Babylonians, then what happened was that this little pocket of people became the Samaritans. They were, they were half-breeds. And, and when the exiles from Babylon came back, they found out that their territory was occupied by people who don't even belong there. And not only that, they're half-breeds. And, 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 and a little bit later during the Maccabean revolt, when there was this revolt against Assyria by the Jews, um, the Samaritans sided with the Syrians. And so not only are they half-breeds, but, but they are also traitors. And then on top of that, their theology was all bad. They didn't have, they, they, didn't, they didn't accept the same scriptures, all the same scriptures that the Jews did. They only accepted the first five and they interpreted them a little bit differently. So they were, theologically, they were off. Um, racially, they were off. Um, and and, and sociopolitically, they were off. They were all of these barriers. And then there's one more. And we get it at a hint that John gives us when he gives us the detail that, she, that he meets her there at noon. Because noon would not be the time that someone would go to draw water. Typically, the women of the village would go out to the well early in the morning before the heat of the day. Or in the evening, in the cool of the night. But they would not come in the hottest time of the day. So this woman, who is part of an outcast group of people, is more than likely an outcast in her own town. And yet Jesus breaks all of those barriers by asking for a drink of water. And he does it from a place of need. See, if he doesn't open the conversation, nothing's going to happen there. That initiative has to come from him because she would never open that conversation. But he does, and he does it from a position of need. Could you give me a drink of water? Which shows remarkable humility. And that's the thing about breaking barriers. The only way grace breaks through barriers it's with an attitude of humility. And if you relate to people around you that are not like you from a sense of superiority or pride or judgmentalism, that is not grace. Jesus doesn't do that. He relates to her one-on-one -on -one as a person for a purpose because he has this gift of grace for her. So he says to her this, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. See, Jesus sees in her a deeper thirst. Now, she doesn't understand this. She still thinks he's kind of talking about physical water. But he's talking about a deeper thirst, a deeper need. It's the thirst of the soul. And he's saying, I have something that's going to satisfy that deepest thirst that you have. That you don't fit in anywhere else. You don't fit in even in your own community. There is a thirst deep inside of you that you have been looking for and trying to get satisfied and you can't, but I've got it here for you. The good news is, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, 
When you come to him, you will find complete acceptance. The challenge and the questions for those of us who are followers of Jesus is, how do you relate to the people around you that are not like you? Do they find acceptance in you or do they find a bit of snobbery or a bit of judgmentalism? Jesus accepted people the way that they were. What's really interesting, I find fascinating, is to Nicodemus, who had all the credentials and all the right things in place, he says to him, you got to start all over again. you got to be born again. To a woman who is an outcast, he doesn't talk about being born again. He says, no, I've got something for you that's going to quench that thirst that you've got deep in your soul. He doesn't use the same imagery at all. Because grace, grace is about breaking through barriers. But, on the other hand, grace does not disregard the truth. So, get your rubber band out again. Because here it comes. He's offered her this living water, and she's interested in it. So he says to her, go call your husband and come back. And there comes the tension. Because he reaches into the most humiliating shameful, painful part of her past. The part that she's had to live with now for years, the part that makes her the outcast. But he confronts her with the truth. And, and her answer to her, and you can, you can almost hear the tension in the situation. You can hear the tension in her voice when she says, I have no husband. And she's being truthful-ish. Because <laughs> Jesus confronts her on this, and he says, you're right, When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. Whoa, 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 Jesus. Where did you get your counseling degree? (laughs) I mean, you're talking about grace and all of a sudden you're like pulling over here on the truth side. What's going on? Why? That's not that's not kind. That's that's hurtful. That's painful. Why is he doing this? Because there's one more barrier that needs to be broken. And it's the, it's the hiddenness of her sin. It's the hiddenness of her broken relationship. It's the hiddenness of her past. And he's got to draw that out to be able to deal with it so that it can be broken. See, even in our day, for someone to have had five husbands, that is not typical. That's pretty unusual. In Jesus' time, all the more so. In fact, actually, there's a great deal of debate um, among the rabbi, two different rabbinical schools, when it came to this idea of divorce. Because the very hardliners were divorce was only allowed with marital, because of marital unfaithfulness. In some kind of sexual um, unfaithfulness, then you could divorce. The other extreme end of the school was, um, no, any cause was reason for divorce. If a husband just got dissatisfied with his wife, he could do it. And by the way, only husbands had the privilege of divorce. The women, the wives, were totally at the mercy of their husband. So whether it's her fault and her infidelity or just he got tired of her and put her away, five times she's gone through this heartbreak. Some of you in this room know the heartbreak of going through a divorce. Five times she's been, in fact, to the point where either she doesn't want to get married again or the guy that sees her doesn't want to marry her. But she's living With this. Now, whether it's her fault or not, the truth of it is this sin always brings brokenness. And for the brokenness to be healed, the truth about it needs to come out. 
When I was a kid in elementary school, I broke my arm. And uh, did it on the school grounds. The nurse had to come. My mom had to come. Took me to the doctor. It's painful. It's hurting. I just, oh, I couldn't, just couldn't move it. It was just so painful. And then they take me to the doctor. And he puts me on the x-ray table. And he says, twist the arm this way. And it's like, ah, that hurts. And it did. And they took the x-rays. They go, okay, well, there's a break. Now we have to reset it. And this might hurt a bit. Yeah. <laughs> it hurt more than the original breaking. And he goes, and he twists it back into place. And it pops and it sets and and, and, and that hurt. It was painful. But, but if I didn't go through the pain of the x-ray and I didn't go through the pain of the resetting, it would never have healed correctly. And what Jesus is doing here by, by that tension of pulling a little bit on the truth side is he's helping her to realize, wait, I know you. I know the real you. And it's the real you that I am offering eternal life. It's the real you that I'm offering this living water. See, if he had not done that, and she went away from that conversation and had put her trust there and, and received that gift of eternal life, received that living water, if she had never been confronted with the truth, there would always be in the back of her mind, but if he really knew me, would he have offered this to me? I mean, do I really have this or not? Because... There's a stuff about me that I never told him about. Maybe if he knew that, he wouldn't have made that offer. And she would never have that settledness of the grace. You see, that's, that's the way it is. See, in fact, anybody who's been in recovery, been through recovery at all, or is still in the, in the recovery, the, on the 12 steps, the very first step is I admit that I have powerless to change this. I have to come to the, if, if I don't take the first step, the other 11 mean nothing. You can't go any further. The first step is you've got to admit that there is something that has controlled your life and you are powerless to change it in yourself. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's bringing her to the truth about herself so that he can heal her and set her right. And we all have to do that. We all have to do that because we are so good at fooling ourselves. We are so good at excusing ourselves and justifying it and trying to make our behavior somehow fit a storyline that makes us feel good about ourselves. But the truth is that without the truth, we don't know grace. And that's why we live with this tension. And we dare not, we dare not as a church try to ease one at the expense of the other. Sometimes people ask me, why do you preach so much about grace? Because I think historically, the church has been really good about truth. We have had councils. We have had um, creeds developed. We have had separations and divisions over what we call truth. We have done a real good job of trying to express truth and get to the truth and be truthful. I don't think we've taken near enough time to understand grace. I think grace is where we need to learn. Not in place of truth, but in that tension between the two. It's where we must live. Because when we do, when we do, here's what happens, is the grace of God transforms religion into real life. And this is what happens. In this awkward, painful moment of confrontation with her, um, as awkward and painful as it is, the, she doesn't leave. She, she doesn't leave. There's something there. Maybe it's the look in his eyes as he talks to her. Maybe it's this, the sound of his voice, the tone of his voice. 
She's not too sure how he knows her, but he knows that she, she knows that he does. And she's intrigued and she stays. And she thinks to herself, there's something about this guy. He's a man of God. He knows stuff about me that I don't let anybody else know. So she says to him, I can see you're a prophet. Now, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is Jerusalem. In other words, let's not talk about me. Let's talk about religion. (laughs) No, no, that's getting a little too personal. You're a man of God. Let's, Let's talk theology. This over here, that's too personal. I don't don't want to deal with that. Let's just just have a big theological conversation. Let's talk about truth. But you're not going to be able to get to grace until you really get to the truth about you. And Jesus doesn't take the bait. He doesn't get involved in this this theological discussion. there's There's this tension going on and she's trying to relieve the tension by just kind of getting back to what is truth. He said, no, 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 I'm going to pull you back to grace. It's, not, it's going to be a little painful, but I'm going to pull you back to grace. And he refuses to talk about theology. He refuses to try and correct her bad theology. And it was bad theology. But it was more important that he reaches her as a person. And here's the thing with that when it comes to grace. Loving people is always more important Improving a theological point. I have found this over and over and over again. <clears throat> Loving people, building relationships, giving opportunity to share, does a lot more than getting into a theological debate with somebody. Because you get into a theological debate, you're button heads. You build a relationship, you have a chance to speak into somebody's life. And that's what Jesus does. He doesn't get sidetracked into the theological debate. Instead, instead, he brings her back to this idea of life. He says to her this, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. In other words, this theological debate that's going on, it's really not what matters. It's not what matters. A time is coming has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In other words, Let's not get mixed up in the theology. Let's come back to the spirit. Let me pull you back into this relationship that God wants for you. This living water that he's offering to you. And when the grace of God gets past religion and gets into real life, it changes everything. It's interesting that this is the only place in all of the Gospels where Jesus truly reveals himself as Messiah. Everybody else tried to pin him down. He always avoids the subject. He never gets around to it. He, he always kind of backs off when they say, who are you? Are you a prophet? Are you this? He never gets involved in that. But to this woman, she, 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 she says, well, I, I know. I know Messiah is going to come and he's going to explain all of this. And Jesus says to her, I who am speaking to you, I am he. He's the only person that he revealed his Messiahship. And she becomes the very first evangelist. She goes back to her village, tells them about this Jesus. They all come out to meet Jesus. And it says many people in that village believed on him because of her words. That she found something in that tension between grace and truth that changed her life. And not just hers, but a whole village. And what Jesus said to her was absolutely true. Whoever drinks of this water 
that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them is a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, this isn't going to be something you take in. This is something that's going to flow up and out of you. And I was thinking about that this week. Um, We've been involved for a number of years now with Hope for Kids International, um, particularly in their water projects and and drilling fresh, clean, safe water wells all throughout Uganda. In fact, through our Walk for Water and and all of the giving that people have done that, we have sponsored over 36 wells in Uganda. And and just a little while ago, uh, Pastor Hilary Malo, um, who oversees the, the well projects and the well drilling there um, in Uganda, posted on Facebook this video. And I watched this video of this water springing out. I thought, you know, this is the picture I think Jesus was going for. So watch this. I love that. Because <laughs> to me, a village has never seen water like that, who's been going out to a muddy well hole filled with disease, finds water like that. And I just love the kids playing in it. Because I think that is the picture of that life that God has for us. Yes, we live in that tension between grace and truth, but it is life giving. And it's what we as a church are committed to. Not just wells in Uganda, but bringing life-giving water to the thirsty souls all around us. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California. 